0: Welcome to Well Played Podcast, the show on all things playful and joyous in education. I'm your host, Michael Matera, sixth grade teacher, author, speaker, and co-founder of EMC2 Learning, the greatest community of educators around. Let's dive right in to today's episode. Today's episode is season seven, episode seven, titled Good for the Goose. Good for the Goose? Hmm. Uh, This is an interesting topic that I wanted to discuss about uh, how in a gamified class, designing your lessons, designing your instruction, designing your classroom, that whole setup, that whole architecture, I contend should be different than you probably learned in your ed program unless you're kind of a brand new graduate. And even then, question mark, what? I know. The uh, it can be scary, but hear me out. Hear me out. So school was built on kind of a factory model in which we run kids through it, right? So if you're in elementary school, you know you have your kids and you have your five subjects or whatever, and boop, 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 you move one subject, next subject, next subject. You're giving the lesson or the <clears throat> overall you know, mini lesson to the whole class. And then they all do the worksheet or the activity. They all take the quiz. They all end up taking the test. And maybe, just maybe over the years, we've added a little voice and choice. And it's like, oh, you can choose from this activity board. You know, you can make a project, do a paper, or take a test, you know. But for the most part, we've, uh, that's as far as we've kind of dived in. To individualized education, and this is this is where I'm excited by this idea of personalized learning, and it's a good thing. Yet our classrooms still run with this mentality of good for the goose, good for the gander. Uh, if you ask a teacher, you know what they've created in the last month for their students. <clears throat> I'm making this stat up. It's a false stat. It's a make believe stat. But I think. I think there's some truth to it. I think if you asked the average teacher what what you've created in the last month, how much of it was for everyone and how much of it was for an individual student. And I think, I shouldn't say an individual student, but a small group of students. And I think vast majority of teachers would say goose for the gander, right? Good for the goose, good for the gander. They What they've created, they created for their course. I'm doing air quotes here and i think this is an important like pivotal piece here i think we have to shift from this idea of the course like the course being the importance as opposed to the student the student is the important right like that is who you're doing it for you're you're not working for the course you're not the the fidelity in which i do my world history class i mean while that's an important ingredient i don't want to say it's reduced to nothing That's not the main ingredient. The the reason I run my world history class isn't to add to the body of world history classes that are out there. I run my world history class as an experience for the students who are in my world history class. And once you start to open up to this idea, which I, I hope this podcast is helping you open up to that idea of your building experiences for your students and your course, your content, your subject, that just happens to be a piece, a piece of this overall experience, right? It's not the main thing. The main thing is the students. And what I love is in a gamified class, as you guys know that I run and I definitely would love you guys to explore, in a gamified class, that expression, good for the goose, good for the gander, is, I mean, it's present. I don't want to say it's not present. But I definitely over the years have shifted far more, good for the goose, good for the goose. <laughs> uh, some of you that have known me for a while realize that I do, I talk about having a muse. And a lot of times when I design a lesson I think of an individual student or maybe two or three students and I use them as my muse when I design something, whether that's a lesson, uh, you know, an extra activity. Uh, I use them like, what would Curtis like, right? And I just think Curtis, Curtis, what's Curtis like? Oh, man, Curtis likes basketball. Maybe I theme some activity or review activity around basketball or, you know, maybe that's woven in in some capacity. And the more you go down this path about good for the goose, good for the goose, or building for a muse, you start to realize this is a better design question as opposed to what's good for world history what's the next lesson for world history uh, because once you start designing for the goose the individual goose one there are other goose much like it right the more in tune i can be with curtis the reality is the more in tune i am also with 11 year olds because curtis is an 11 year old and everyone in around him is an 11 year old does that mean what i designed for curtis is loved by all 11 year olds no but probably closer to being loved than when I just think about world history. And like, okay, my next lesson for world history is the Battle of Salamis. Uh, When I think about that, then I'm just thinking of curricular points to get across. You know, like they better know about uh, Themistocles. They better know about the island of Salamis. They better know about Xerxes. Like, eh, that's good. Good to have in mind. Don't get me wrong. Don't crucify me here. Like, that is important to know, but... When I think about Curtis, I think about his love of stories and how much he reads. And then I think, ooh, can I do this lesson a little bit more like story time? Can I sit around and tell this story about the Battle of Marathon? Break down my lesson objectives and kind of weave it into storytelling mode. And then can I lay out that story where it's a little interactive? Can I think of call and response, for example? A good example here would be when I was talking about the Battle of Salamis, I talk about it being an island, and I ask the the, class, like, when I say the word island, what is that? What is that? What what jumps to your mind? And you know, some kids say, like, I don't know, palm trees, coconuts, you know, tropical beach. And I said, okay, that's great. That's what jumps to my mind. However, put that out of your mind because Salamis is a rock that sticks out of the water, right? And then, uh, as I progress in the story, I weave in that recall, you know, I say, okay. And the Athenians went to what island? And they're like, Salamis. And I said, Salamis is, and they're like, a rock that sticks out of the water. And I do that like four or five times throughout the story. But the point is, when I built that lesson, I thought of Curtis. I thought of Curtis and his love of stories and reading. And the reality is everyone basically listened to a 40 minute lecture, but it was a story, right? I didn't have a PowerPoint. We sat in a circle. I sat on the ground with him and I just told the story of the Battle of Salamis, and I wove in those little call and response moments, uh, and kids laughed, kids enjoyed, it was communal, right? But what I did was I designed for Curtis, and yes, my curricular goals were there, but Curtis was the first point, and the reality is around that circle, I saw smiles, I saw happiness, I saw laughter, I heard kids saying, like, story time's the best, you know what I saw in future weeks was kids recalled a lot of that information because we already know the power of stories. So building out a lesson like that was pretty powerful. Now I tell you that story because I want you to realize the shift from building for the gander, uh, building for the goose. When you focus on the goose, it ends up being pretty awesome. And the thing we need to get away from. I don't want to say get away from because on some level building stuff for everyone to do is important and is always going to be a key ingredient in school. But what I want to, I don't know, inspire you guys to is the fact that you are the captain of your ships here, right? And you can set it sail in so many different directions in so many different ways. So think about different ways that you could build opportunities that are not for everyone. And this is where... I started at the top of the podcast saying that what you've learned in your teacher training, you know, schools, uh, probably in a lot of educational books you read is, you know, about designing experiences for everybody because that's how schools built the factory model. But we're trying to get away from that. So here, let me sort of talk you through some of the ways in my class that I have built a majority of my experiences are things most kids are never going to touch. And it took a long time, so don't feel uh, overwhelmed by this. Be inspired by this. Start your own journey of offering authentic, true options that kids can interact with, but they don't have to interact with. My number one example of that is in a gamified class, I have something called side quests. These are enrichment opportunities, they don't have to take them, they don't impact their grade. They're exploratory, they're optional, uh, they're independent. I don't really hold their hands. I don't like talk about it in class. I don't sit here and review the rubric. And there is no rubric. In fact, most of them, the directions are a single sentence or two. For those of you that are part of EMC2, we have 50 examples already posted, 50 more coming for sure. Uh, These are just great activities that you can use in your classroom to explore the content, to explore other options, to be creative, to fuse that creativity and content together. But each of my units, I probably give kids a choice of five or six of these to do. And I know when I'm taking the time to put them up on my website and say you can do X, Y and Z, I know most kids aren't going to do it. Right? That maybe side quest X, only five kids are going to do. Maybe 10. Maybe a yeah, side quest Y and it's going to be pretty popular. So okay, maybe 25 of my 100 kids are going to do that quest. But that's okay. That's such a shift from this idea of what's the worksheet I'm gonna give out, what's the lecture I'm gonna give out in which all 100 kids are gonna experience, right? It starts to be curated a little bit. I have all these options. Then once you build a few of these options, you start to ask who are these options for, right? Have I done something for my artistic kid? Have I done something for that creative writer kid? Have I done something for that kid that loves presenting? Have I done something that's physical, right? Have I done some group options, right? and maybe the answer is some of those are no and that's okay but then that next unit when i have five more side quests to release maybe i take the time to build one or two that touch those modalities that i didn't touch before uh if you've been listening this year i think i did a podcast on my challenge tests, and i think this is another example of options each unit you can take the regular test or the challenge test and it's just another option and I'm building not for everybody, I'm building for a few and that's awesome. The goose, right? So I think about a challenge test and how that can be different and what makes them a challenge test is just that it's not your traditional multiple choice. Many kids can succeed so it's not challenging because the questions are just uber demanding. It's challenged challenge because it's so different that you're going to use part of your cognitive load to even understand what this test is asking you because they're all different. But that's a choice. And you have kids in your class that want that choice, that want that creativity, that want that challenge. And so some kids take that. I also, for those of you that have read Explore Like a Pirate, I talk about Adventure Path. And and, uh, if you're an EMC2 member, I have an Adventure Path course that helps you build those out. The adventure paths are optional projects, if you will, or optional tasks that are kind of end up being required if you sign up for them. Uh, I don't really want to get into the whole thing here, but again, knowing full well 20, 30, 40, 50% of my students are going to involve in the adventure path, and that's okay. And now you start to see this rich tapestry. I got side quests. I got a challenge. So in any given unit, you got five, six Side quests. You got the regular test and the challenge test. You have the adventure path. Do you want to go on it? Don't you want to go on it? Like, th- those are meaningful options that are going to come up every single unit. And a student can find their own piece, right? They can identify as a goose and not have to contort themselves into the gander. Uh, and I think that's really. Awesome. Other little things you can do that are powerful, motivational, and definitely gamified, you can have hidden quests, this idea of Easter eggs, like maybe you're the one that discovered it and that's okay. Maybe only two or three are going to find this thing, but that's exciting. Another one is decision tree method where a lot of games, uh, take Diablo, Diablo is a popular video game. It's kind of one of these dungeon crawlers. You're going down into the dungeon, slaying all sorts of things. But right away, right away, you have a decision tree. When you first build your character, you have to choose what kind of character you are. Are you kind of that barbarian? Are you the mage that can do some things? Are you kind of the archer? Are you kind of the thief, right? That can be sneaky. The moment you choose one, you are saying no to all the sort of specialties of the other. You're saying yes to the specialty of the one you chose. But now that is sort of planting the seed of I'm the mage and the only thing that can grow from that branching architecture of options is the things that are the mage. And so that immediate decision cuts off other decisions but opens up a pathway and multiple pathways and branches that are only on the mage. You could design a lesson like that. You could design a class like that. Maybe the first semester they immediately have to sort of Choose one of these things. And maybe second semester you allow them to convert or whatever, but that's an option and you're designing for the few. Maybe a bunch are going to take the barbarian. Maybe a bunch are going to take the thief, right? Who knows? Access is another powerful motivational tool. Uh, So you could have things where maybe, maybe my challenge test is only available to kids that have completed three side quests. That can be an interesting choice. But again, you're now that means I'm making my ad, challenge test for even less kids, or I'm inspiring more kids to have to sort of wade through some of the side quests. All these things make class dynamic, make class personalized, because the path, the route, the side quests, the things that you touched and did with the amount of combinations over my 10 units, the five, let's just say five side quests. Let's just say the challenge test and the regular test, the adventure path. I mean, it's like a billion combination right there. Like having students have that level of choice is unbelievable and produces amazing results in the class. And so I hope you consider this idea of designing for the goose, only the goose, and realize that other geese might flock to it but that doesn't mean it's good for the entire gander and that's okay all right everybody i am so thankful to have you part of the well-played community uh as always i would love to love 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 to hear from you guys use the hashtag well-played podcast and tag me at mr matera on twitter or at mr matera edu on instagram please Join in the conversation. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on design for the goose, not necessarily the gander. All right, everybody, have a great week and play on.